So am I not allowed to vote? Can I not do my job? I'm even being told right now that I can't technically take maternity leave because if I take maternity leave, then I won't be allowed to sponsor legislation or vote during that time period. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. I'm not the first working woman to uh, give birth. I'm not the first working woman to juggle family and and her career. Um, It's ridiculous that it's 2018 and this became big news. That's Senator Tammy Duckworth, the Democrat from Illinois. And as you might have heard... U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth is pregnant. Duckworth and and her husband, Brian Bowlesby, welcomed their first daughter, Abigail, in 2014. Duckworth is due this spring, expecting her second daughter. She's pregnant. Of course, it's not the only notable thing about her. She's an Iraq war vet a Purple Heart recipient, a Black Hawk helicopter pilot, and she's a double amputee. And now she's making history as the first sitting senator to give birth while in office. It's a big deal because it shows that women are finally getting to the halls of power. It's going to transform a few things for Duckworth and for the upper chamber. Number one, it's going to change some Senate rules because I'm going to make sure it changes some Senate rules. (laughs) We'll discuss all of that and more with the senator. We talked about her career failures, Democratic prospects this midterm cycle, and her not-so-affectionate nickname for President Trump. So stay tuned for our interview. On the podcast, we'll be bringing you real talk with women bosses, asking how did you make it and what advice would you give a woman looking to lead? If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter at APalmerDC. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. And now a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. And now, our interview with Senator Tammy Duckworth. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. You made big news recently when you announced you're having a child. Uh, You'll be the first senator to give birth while in office. Tell us in your words why this is such a big deal or people are making it such a big deal. Well, that's the thing. I'm surprised that it is. It shouldn't be. I'm not the first working woman to uh, give birth. I'm not the first working woman to juggle family and and her career. Um, It's ridiculous that it's 2018 and this became big news. I actually thought this would be something that would fly under the radar. And when we, uh, uh, you know, we, we told one reporter... And it blew up overnight when when the when the word got out. Um, it's a big deal because it shows that women are finally getting to the halls of power, and we need more of them. There's only 22 of us here, and that's not enough. So, what do you think this will change for women who come after you? Well, I think it's going to change a few things. Number one, it's going to change some Senate rules because I'm going to make sure it changes some Senate rules. <laughs> <laughs> but the more women we get into office, the more family-friendly legislation uh, we're going to have, and the more we are going to get an understanding of the connection between family-friendly legislation and economic well-being for our nation. We need family leave, not because it's the warm and fuzzy and nice thing to do, but because it's better for our economy. 
So talk to me about those rules. What kind of things do you want to see change? It reminds me a little bit of in the house when they didn't have a women's bathroom off the floor and it was just men's for years <laughs> right, until right. really recently. Right. And until and it was Barbara Mikulski in the Senate who drove to get more bathrooms for the women senators. Uh, 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 and, you know, and she was the first uh, woman to be uh, elected on her own to the Senate. Um, well, for example, you're not allowed to bring children onto the floor of the Senate to uh, at all. And so if I have to vote and I'm breastfeeding my child, especially during my maternity leave period, um, what do I do? Leave her sitting outside? Uh, I can't leave her with a staff member. That's a conflict of interest. So am I not allowed to vote? Can I not do my job? What 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 are some of the um, requirements there? And I'm even being told right now that I can't technically take maternity leave because if I take maternity leave, then I won't be allowed to sponsor legislation or vote during that time period. So you're just kind of working through the logistics right now? I am. And the rules and trying to figure out what the parameters are and, and, and finding a solution so that uh, other legislators behind me will be able to continue to do their jobs, but also look after their families. How understanding have the other members been on this? Have you gotten roadblocks or are they trying to just work through it with you? The other members have been fantastic on both sides of the aisle. Uh, and it's been funny because um, people have just come up to me and, and, and have been it's been almost a uniting uh, uh, piece of news where people have come up and, and people are just so happy. I think we've all been hungering for something nonpartisan. Um, uh, and, and even Cory Gardner said, came up to me and said, you know, Cory is a unisex name. <laughs> I like it, Vine, yeah. for the I, naming right. Yeah, I, I told him, I'm not sure I'm going to be naming my child after you, but thank you. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, talk to me a little bit about women in general that are employed, high-stress jobs. You have one of the most stressful jobs, one of 100. Did that come into play when you were thinking about having another child? It's definitely uh, something that uh, was a major factor uh, this balancing of my family life and my career and, and, and the job and trying to live up to the service for my constituents. Um, I really felt it uh, when um, I was in the campaign phase. It was probably the most grueling campaign I've ever run, and I've had some pretty tough campaigns. But really, the grueling nature of it was that I was separated from my newborn daughter so much, and, and that was just so hard. Um, uh, and And even now... Um, to be away from her, to travel the state. Uh, I, I love my job. Once I get out there on the road and I'm traveling the state, it's wonderful, but I miss my daughter. Uh, and so it is It is a work-life balance, and you just have to figure it out and find a way to make both happen and understand that you know, the perfect life where you can do everything is a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. It doesn't work. Not, it doesn't happen in that way, and, and normal families struggle with this all the time. I think I read a quote where you said 50 is the new 40 in this. Yes. I mean, you're, you're older than a lot of new mothers. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. Has it been a different process this time around? Well, I joke that um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a new mom, not a young mom. Uh, I am. And it does say geriatric pregnancy on all my medical charts, which is really an awful thing to see. Uh, but I had my daughter at 46, and I had to wait 18 months um, uh, before I could start trying again. And then it took another 18 months, just under two years, to get pregnant this time. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to have to face the realities of biology and mother nature. Um, but at the same time, you know, try to pursue a career. And as, I, as my um, uh, uh, OBGYN said to me, you know, so many of us professional women give up our fertilities 
for our careers. And we look up and suddenly we finally got to a place where we're comfortable in our professional lives where we don't, where we can take a a few risks, you know, take more vacation days and, and look after ourselves. And by then you're past your fertile years. You get to 35, you're not, you're, you're considered over the hill. And 35 is really when most people really hit their strides mid career. Yeah, absolutely. How did uh, your daughter handle the news? My daughter figured it out without anybody telling her. She'd been asking for a baby sister, and she, um, my husband and I were the only two that knew. We told nobody because we wanted to, because it's a high-risk pregnancy, get to a viability of the, of the fetus. Um, and uh, my daughter at Thanksgiving time frame started saying, Mommy has a baby in her tummy at family gatherings. And we were just like, oh, no, 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 no. When you were little, you were in Mommy's belly. But, you know, and finally one night we asked her, it's like, why – when we were all alone, she said, why do you think that? She says, because mommy's tummy is getting bigger. <laughs> out of the mouth of babes. There you <laughs> Brutal. Go. But she figured it out on her own. She loves it. She's excited. So talk to us. A lot of our listeners are potentially women who would want to run for office. What would you, advice would you give to them that if, either if they are mothers or are thinking about becoming mothers, that they can do this kind of thing? They can find some sort of balance there. Yeah. Um, well, just face the reality that there's no balance. There's no balance. You're, you're never going to feel adequate and you're always going to be struggling, but you do the best that you can and you give yourself permission to struggle and be frustrated. And, and, that's, you know, and, and that is really hard advice to take for yourself um, and, and really to understand that you, you're not going to be able to do everything. And if you choose to put off your fertility until later for your career, because that's what you have to do, um, then understand that you're going to be facing these challenges later. Uh, I, I, I only half joking tell all of my female staff members who are busy climbing uh, uh, the professional ladder to go freeze your eggs. I'm only half joking at them. There's a grain of truth there um, uh, uh, because, uh, you know, no one's going to look out for you but you. And in the end, uh, you know, uh, you you have to try to do both if that's what you want. But give yourself permission to be frustrated and tired and feel inadequate because no one's perfect. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Uh, well, you talked a little bit about paid family leave as, mm-hmm. as one of the things that you're focused on, obviously. But are there other policy areas where you think kind of having a family, being a mother that you are going to focus on or that you maybe reexamined um, as you're going through this next phase? Well, I it it has already affected my policies. I certainly, um, as a Democrat, uh, was always very uh, supportive of family leave and all of these things uh, before I became pregnant with my first daughter. But after I had my daughter and I started, you know, and I was breastfeeding and I was traveling was when I realized the realities of what it's like to be a breastfeeding mom traveling and trying to pump breast milk. So I, that's when I started working on legislation on uh, uh, lactation rooms, mandatory lactation rooms in airports. Um, I changed my office's policy on family leave when I got pregnant because I had what was recommended as the standard uh, uh, leave policy in the house, which was the common. When I first got to the house as a freshman, I said, okay, this is this is the handbook. This is what, what most offices have. And I said, well, what's the general thing that Democrats do? And, and, and so it was a pretty good leave policy. And then I realized... When I got pregnant, it's like, wait a minute, I want 12 weeks leave and I don't have 12 weeks leave in here for everybody in my office that's paid. So how, how can I take 12 weeks and if I don't have it for, my, for all of my employees? And then I started thinking about it and I realized, wait a minute, 
this is only for mothers. What about for men? What about for same-sex couples who adopt the brand new, you know, the, the brand new baby that's being adopted still needs their parent for 12 weeks. So why would we? So we change all of our own internal office policies to make sure that it was in keeping with uh, what the standard we wanted it to be for the nation. And so I saw that within my own organization, how we needed to change. And that's the basis for the family leave that I support for the nation was really based on my own experience and realizing that as a progressive Democrat on these issues, I was actually behind the times. We'll be right back with more Women Rule, but first a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. You've got a lot of firsts on your resume, first disabled woman in the Senate, first person of Thai descent in Congress, and soon, obviously, as we've been discussing a lot, the first uh, woman senator to give birth while in office. What lessons do you think you have for women, not just in Congress, but in all fields of how to get past that fear that they won't succeed because no one like them have done, has done it before? Oh, you're going to fail. Just allow yourself to fail and you just have to pick yourself back up. That, I think, was the biggest change in my attitude before I was wounded in Iraq and after I was wounded. Before I was wounded in Iraq, I was very competitive. I was very much... Um, uh, I was very competitive and I was very much about pursuing my career and being perfect in everything. You know, I wanted to be a good helicopter pilot. I wanted to be a good company commander. I wanted to get the highest uh, you know, uh, um, ratings when it came to my evaluations, all of those things that we all do. Um, but then what happened in Iraq was I learned that not being able to do something like learning to sit up again and learning to walk again or having to learn to brush my teeth all over again didn't make me less of a person. It just meant that I had to do it a couple of times and try it. And then when I ran in 2006 and lost, I was devastated. I was devastated. I put everything into that race and I lost it. But I picked myself back up and it made me a better candidate six years later when I ran in 2012 and won. And so my advice is allow yourself to fall. Because if you don't allow yourself to fall, then you will never learn the lessons that will make you a better whatever you know, better at your job, better candidate, whatever that is. And so um, I am more, far more fearless now than I was when I was a hotshot helicopter pilot. I'm more fearless now because I'm willing to take chances and fail and know that I will fail and know that something I'm going to try may not have 100% chance at success, but to keep doing it anyway. And that's after all, how you pass legislation in this place. <laughs> <laughs> Usually not the first time around. Not the first time around. <laughs> Talk about that 2006 race. You lost. You said it was devastating. What was the biggest thing you learned? That people are not afraid to lie about you and, 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 the, and uh, politics is a dirty game and people will do whatever they need to and say whatever they need to just the way it is. And if you want to be in these halls and you want to make a difference for your constituents, then you got to be tougher than that. Uh, and so I learned to ignore that stuff and just connect with my constituents and realize that the most important relationship 
um, was not the commercials on television. It was actually getting out into my constituents' homes and talking to them. And that's, I think, how I won in 2012 and then again um, since then. You often hear talking to women about whether they're going to run or not, that they need to be asked to run. I think you've said Senator Durbin called you. Mm -hmm. What did he say that helped get you over the hump? He basically gave me a new mission. I was missionless. I was a helicopter pilot with no legs. And I didn't know how I was going to serve my country. And I had planned to serve my country in the military for the rest of my you know, professional life. And that was taken away from me. And I, I didn't know what else I was going to do. And, and Dick Durbin encouraged me to advocate for vets. And so did Senator Obama and, and, uh, and Senator Akaka, who was at the time the chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee. And through those relationships, uh, I started advocating and I found a new purpose. And then when Dick called, um, he challenged me. He said, look, you, if you truly believe that there's not enough that's being done, then essentially put your money where your mouth is and run. Stop being afraid. Run. Come do this and I'll help you. Um, and so uh, that's when I took the deep breath and jumped and said, OK, I'll try. Do you reach out to women now to help get recruit them? I do. I do reach out to women. I reach out a lot to the veteran community because I have seen a shift in the veteran community towards more progressive values, especially among uh, millennial veterans who have seen combat. And this is why you see the rise of a lot of veterans who we call so the um, uh, uh, IAVA, the Iraq and Afghanistan uh, veterans uh, uh you know, there's a Seth Moulton, there's myself, Ruben Gallego. Um, there's, I think I'm the first one in the Senate and then all the others are in the House. And you're seeing this. So I see um, a lot of folks. And I actually, I get, a lot of, I get a lot of phone calls where people reach out to me. Um, and it's been an extraordinary large number of female Cobra helicopter pilots who have called me and said, I'm still serving. I'm going to be done in two years. I'm going to be done in four years, especially after the Women's March last year. Um, who said, you know, when I'm ready to leave the military and I'm going to run, can you help? I said, I'll absolutely help you. I want to talk about President Trump. You've taken on the president at his own game, coming up with nicknames for his political enemies. Just one. So you called him Cadet Bone Spurs. Talk about that. How did you come up with a nickname? How did you decide this was what you were going to kind of beat him at his own game a little bit? I just think it's descriptive. I think bullies need to have a taste of their own medicine. And he is a bully. And you stand up to bullies. And the cadet, he was a cadet. That's the, I was, what, was, what was his high, highest military rank? He was a cadet in a prep school. Um, and, you know, the bone spurs thing, I, I just think it's ironic that you have a, a, an injury that is so severe it keeps you out of serving your country, but you don't remember which foot it was in or whether it was in both feet. I mean, he can't remember. As I've said before, I remember the hangnail I have on my right toe. <laughs> and it's not attached to my body anymore. So how can he not remember something was so debilitating that it kept him from serving his nation? You've also criticized him about his five deferment as a draft dodger. Do you think he is unfit to be commander-in-chief given that kind of background? No, it has nothing to do with him avoiding service. People have avoid many, many people avoid avoided um, Vietnam, both on the Democratic and on the Republican side. My problem with Trump is that he wraps himself up in the flag and patriotism and questions others' support for the military and others' love of this country. And he's in no position to do that. Uh, you know, as I said on the floor, 
you know, don't question me and my support for the military. I spent my entire adult life making sure my men had what they needed to do their jobs and were trained to go to war. And then I went to war with them. You may have decided not to go to Vietnam. That's on you. But don't question my support for the military. And that's my problem with him as commander-in-chief is he says and does things. He says something, he does something completely different. And, and he's simply not willing to put in the work to truly understand what our nation needs for its security and what our military needs in order to carry out its very dangerous mission of securing our, secu- our safety and, and our homeland. Do you think the perception of women in the military has changed under Trump? I think the perception of women in military have changed during women's service in Iraq and Afghanistan. I think it has nothing to do with Trump. I think that women who serve in the military have, through their own heroism and their own hard work, shown the world what they can do. America's daughters are as tough and as capable of defending liberty as America's sons. And the women did that on their own. Before I let you go, I want to ask you about the midterms, obviously something we're all focused a lot on. Yeah. There's still still clear divisions in the Democratic Party, um, red state republic, uh, you know, red state Democrats and the more liberal wing of the Democratic Party. I think you've done a good job of kind of explaining that. But what do you see happening there? Well, let me just tell you my, what my frustration is. My frustration is that um, that there are wings because I'm from the Midwest. I'm from the land of the, the, the industrial Midwest Democrats, right? In Chicago, we have a solidly blue city, but the rest of Illinois is red. We're 102 counties in Illinois, 96 of which are red, and only six are blue. Um, And so in order to get elected in Illinois, you really have to talk about all things that matter to people. And at the end of the day, what the Midwest can teach the Democratic Party is we have to care about everyone. We can't just care about minorities or immigrants or, or, you know, or, or identity politics. We have to care about everyone who's trying to keep a job, pay their mortgage, send their kids to college, make it to Social Security or some sort of retirement, and have health insurance the entire time. And, and that shouldn't be race or immigration related. That should just be the American dream. And, and I think that if my party can sort of focus more on that, which is where the we in the Midwest really focus on, um, I think that we can be successful. But if we just focus, uh, uh, um, you know, on on the left-wing side of the party or the more conservative side of the party, it it doesn't get us anywhere. And it certainly doesn't get the American people anywhere. And at the end of the day, what are you doing here if you're not taking care of the people that you serve? Do you think Democrats will retake the Senate? I don't know. I, I think that we need to just get out there and do the hard work of connecting with the American people and, and, you know, a little less talk, a lot more action and just get out there and talk to folks and, and talk to, in, like in Illinois, the coal miners down south who are watching their pensions or the steel workers or, uh, you know, the folks on the south side of Chicago who are watching all their young people get shot um, and, and try to figure out ways that we can serve everybody and, and with a common cause. And, and, and those causes are there. We just have to do a better job of articulating how we can do that for our constituents. What woman would you like to see run for president next? 
Oh. <laughs> well, I'm going to stick with the Midwest. I'm going to have to say Amy Klobuchar, I guess. I, I, I would love to see more Midwestern Dems run. I would think I think Sharon Brown would be fantastic. Amy would be fantastic. I, I would like to see a Midwestern Dem get out there. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey there. It's Politico's Ben White. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Politico Money. Every week, I talk with people who are influencing Wall Street and Washington. You'll get great moments like Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin taking full credit for the stock market rally under President Trump and threatening Congress that if they didn't pass the tax cut bill, stocks would tank. Politico Money. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.